You're listening to audio from Redeemer Anglican Church in the urban heart of Richmond, Virginia. We are a parish committed to gospel formation for missional presence through seven essential practices. Telling the biblical story, embracing a new identity in Jesus, finding belonging in the church community, cultivating virtue through redemptive habits, understanding our context in this current cultural moment, laboring in renewed vocations for the common good, and reordering our imaginations through beauty in the arts. To learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. First Peter verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, in Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving not they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have been now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look the word of the lord Would you please stand for the reading of the gospel Gospel reading this morning is from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. You can find them on page 835 of your pew Bible. This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. 
But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. The gospel of the Lord. Amen. Let's be seated. Well, just once more. Good morning, church. Good morning to you all. For those of you who are new, welcome to Redeemer. Thank you for visiting. Glad you're here. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Dan. I'm very grateful to serve here as a pastor. Now, today we're beginning a new sermon series on the book of First Peter. And if you don't have one of these already, you can find these guidebooks that will accompany this series. Uh, you can find them on the table and by the main entrance there or by the side entrance over on the side. Make sure that you pick one up if you call Redeemer your home. This is going to help us track with this series over the next 50 days. Now, we have chosen to spend the season of Easter, traditionally called Eastertide, studying the book of 1 Peter because 1 Peter was a letter written to help people live out the reality of the resurrection of Jesus in their everyday lives, in the here and now. 1 Peter answers the question, What difference does the resurrection of Jesus from the dead make in my life right now? Not not just eternally, but but right now. And it's a letter written by the Apostle Peter, which is somebody who saw Jesus die with his eyes and who then met Jesus after he had been raised from the dead. And so it's a letter written by an eyewitness, but it's written to people who never saw Jesus, who didn't see any of the miracles, didn't hear any of his teaching, didn't see him die, didn't see him rise, didn't see any of that stuff. And so it's written to people who felt the strangeness and the weirdness of being a Christian and who had to trust other people's stories, other people's writings about Jesus. And that was hard for them. And at this point, it's starting to sound a little familiar, right? Because that's hard for us too, isn't it? It's written to people like us. Now, today we're going to examine just the first couple verses of chapter one, and we're going to talk about hope, resurrection hope. And as we begin, let's pray for the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds and hearts and bodies so that we can understand the words of Scripture. Gracious Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're going to talk about hope, and a true form, we're going to do so from a couple different angles. And if you're the kind of person that likes to take notes, here are some categories to kind of help you track along. First, hope is more important than we think. Hope is more important than we think. Second, hope meets us in our loneliness. And third, hope restores our imaginations, okay? So hope is more important than we think. Hope meets us in our loneliness. Hope restores our imaginations. First, why is hope more important than we think? Well, you and I, just kind of by nature, tend to underestimate the role of hope in our lives. I mean, you and I tend to think of hope as this nice word that kind of means something I want to happen, right? Like when I go fly fishing, I hope I catch a 14-inch brook trout. I don't, but I hope I do, right? So kids... After this service, you hope there are donuts, and there are. It's great. And adults, you hope this sermon isn't too long, and it is, right? So 
sometimes hope is fulfilled, sometimes hope is dashed, right? Now, of course, we think about hope in, in much more serious ways. We, we have hopes for health and family and work and money and happiness, but, but all the time we're kind of still using the idea of hope primarily as wanting or wishing for something. But the thing you need to know is that historically, that's not how people use the word hope. No, throughout most of history, people use the word hope to refer to the ultimate thing in your life that guides you, like the thing that motivates you, that comforts you, the thing that, the thing that makes you okay. That's, that's what hope is. And so historically, hope is not a wish for something you don't have. Hope is being sure of a thing that is coming to you. Hope is not a wish for something you don't have. Hope is being sure of something that is coming to you. Think about it this way. I know some of you are, are veterans and have been in battle, so, but if you haven't, just imagine. Imagine you're in battle, and imagine it's going poorly. The enemy is winning. Troops are falling on your right and on your left. The situation kind of looks grim, and then all of a sudden, you hear that heavy roar in the distance, and over the, over the horizon, you see a squadron of helicopters flying in low over the trees. Help is on the way. Now, are you still in battle? Yes. Are you safe? No. But you have hope, right? You're not wishing for something you don't have. You are being sure of something that is coming to you, right? Hope changes the way that you experience and process the events of your life. Have you ever noticed, I'm I'm sure you have, have you ever noticed how two people can go through the exact same experience and yet come out completely different from each other? So you take two people, they both get cancer and they both undergo chemotherapy. One person becomes compassionate towards others, gentle, soft. They befriend the nurses. They draw closer to their loved ones and their friends and their family. The other person becomes filled with self-pity. They lash out in anger. They withdraw from friends and family, and and they just kind of settle into bitterness. Why? Well, hope is the difference. One has hope for something beyond physical health. The other only has hope in health itself, right? Hope changes the way you experience and process the events of your life. Now, take those two different things and put them together, okay? If hope is not wishing for something, but knowing what's coming to you, and knowing what's coming to you changes the way you experience and process the events of your life, then what does that look like? Well, it looks like knowing how the story ends so that the middle of the story is less stressful for you, less discouraging for you. Have you ever... um, you ever read a book twice? You know, like you read the book the first time and it's kind of like you're all anxious. You don't really know how it's going to end, but then you read it through once and then you, then later you go back and you read it again and you experience the middle of that story differently than you did the first time. And as I look out and I see the blank looks on your faces, I'm realizing that I'm the weirdo. Do you guys not read books more than once? Come on. I was talking to some people after one of the earlier services and they were saying like, that's weird. Why would you read a book more than once? Guys, you got to There are some books on my shelf I have reread dozens of times. It's so good. Okay, that illustration doesn't work. Um, Now, here's one that does. So, uh, some of you might remember in the fall when the World Cup was happening, and the final game of the World Cup happened on a Sunday morning. Do you remember this? Now, most of y'all, I'm sure, were reasonable human beings, and so you stayed home to watch the game. But the Murata family, because my poor wife is married to a pastor... Because my kids have a pastor for a dad. You know where they were on Sunday morning? They were here. You can pray for the Murata kids. They're all going to be in therapy, right? So we missed the World Cup final, and we had to go home after the services to watch it on replay. 
Now, my, my wonderful wife, Rachel, was kind enough to kind of be the one to cue it all up for us. And so we sat in the living room, we made popcorn, we got snacks, and we watched the game. And if you remember that game, it was an emotional roller coaster. Highs and lows, lead changes back and forth, multiple overtimes, and then penalty kicks. By the end of that game, I was an emotional wreck. I was sweating, I was panting, I was exhausted, I needed a nap. Rachel was calm and cool through the whole thing. Do you know why? When she was queuing up the game, she saw how it ended. (laughs) And so she was not stressed out. (laughs) She knew where it was all going. And so the middle for her was not discouraging. Now, why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because you and I tend to underestimate the role of hope in our lives. Hope is so much more important than we think. Now, let's press in just a little bit deeper because hope is not only more important than we think it is, it also meets us in our loneliness. And I know just because I know some of you and I know human nature, all of us in this room share the common thread of loneliness weaving in and out of our hearts and our minds and our bodies. Loneliness is the thing that you have in common with the person sitting next to you right now. Now, what kind of loneliness are we talking about? Well, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, it's the loneliness of exile. Peter addresses his letter, quote, to the elect exiles in the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, who are these people? These are first century Christians who are living as cultural and religious minorities in various cities around the Roman Empire. They are a small gathering. They don't have political power or cultural power. And Christianity is not recognized as a legal religion at this time in history. And their lives are hard. Verses six and seven describe them as being, quote, tested by various trials and then, quote, tried by fire. And just kind of as an aside, There are historical accounts from this time in history of Christians being hoisted up on poles and literally lit on fire. So when Peter is using this language of fire, he's not necessarily being metaphorical. It's real. Now, less dramatically, let's think of our own situation. Do you ever feel like you're living through something of an exile? Like you just kind of don't belong, you don't fit in, you kind of keep moving around, trying to move in from friend to friend to group to group, maybe even from city to city, trying to figure out where you fit, where you belong, and it just never works. You never quite settle. You know what I'm talking about? If your hope is in fitting in and feeling like you belong, you are never actually going to make it. And Peter, the author of this text himself, knew that. And he knew that at a personal level. Peter grew up as a Jew under Roman oppression. So his imagination from his childhood was shaped by the trauma of his people's subjugation. But even more personally, Peter knew what it felt like to be completely and utterly alone. Some of you will remember the story that on the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter was confronted and accused of being one of Christ's followers. And fearing for his own life, Peter denied ever knowing Jesus, which is something that Jesus predicted that he would do. And there in the courtyard, in the light of the burning torches, Jesus turned and looked at Peter after he denied knowing him three times. And Peter realized that he had not only betrayed his friend, he had betrayed God. And as he left, he wept bitterly. You see, Peter was initially the most enthusiastic of the disciples. But at the end there, he is utterly alone in his exile as an outcast. And I wonder if you've ever felt in your gut that part of the reason why you don't belong and you aren't at home is because of actually something wrong that you've done. A friendship you've ruined, a marriage you've betrayed, a parent you've rejected, a child that you've wounded. And if your hope isn't being good enough to always deserve other people's love, you are never going to make it. Now, later in the story, think about the loneliness of the two women who are going to the tomb. 
It's early in the morning, probably cold like this morning was. Blankets and cloaks wrapped tightly around them and they are so alone they might as well be walking on another planet. Remember, they are not going to the tomb to see if Jesus is alive. Contrary to popular belief, ancient people are not idiots. They are not superstitious fools. They know just as well as you and I do that when someone dies, it's over, right? They are going to the tomb in the loneliness and grief and exile of a broken heart. And I know some of you actually are experiencing the loneliness of a broken heart right now, of thinking, you've been thinking that your life is going in one direction, that you're on this kind of epic journey with a destination, and then all of a sudden it just falls apart. The bottom drops out. The road just stops. And now you're here. And if your hope is in your life plans always working out the way you want them to, you are never going to make it. Now, this loneliness that we're talking about is why our secular age has become an age of cynicism. Hope and secularism do not go together. They can't mix. They're like oil and water. And when the message of our time is, this life is all you have. There's no heaven above. There's no hell below. No ultimate meaning or purpose behind life other than the individual meanings and purposes that we kind of construct and choose for ourselves. Then when you're in exile, when you don't belong, when you've ruined your most important relationships and your life plans fall apart, you know what you're left with? Nothing at all. That's why T.S. Eliot was right when he wrote, This is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. You see, to be alive is to live an exiled existence, and death is the final exile that awaits for all of us. And you know what the saddest part of all of this is? The saddest part is so many people who identify as Christians try to drum up a kind of spiritual optimism to deal with the existential panic of the loneliness that we're talking about. Spiritual optimism. Do you know what that is? I know you do. Spiritual optimism. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like hashtag blessed. It sounds like the best is yet to come. It sounds like let go and let God. Spiritual optimism is a way of denying that the hard things are hard, that the pain is real, that loneliness is real, that exile is real, that suffering is real, and that death is coming for you and death is coming for everybody that you love. Listen, you are not ready for resurrection hope until your spiritual optimism has died. Peter's spiritual optimism died when he betrayed Jesus. The women's spiritual optimism died as they walked the lonely road to the tomb. And the exiles to whom 1 Peter was written were experiencing the agony of the death of their own spiritual optimism in their suffering and in their persecution. And I'm just curious at this point, has your spiritual optimism died yet? You know, the cross of Jesus on Friday is the death of spiritual optimism. That's why so many of us don't want to go to services on Friday, right? I'm not trying to shame anybody. It's just real. I feel it too. Good Friday is the death of spiritual optimism. Now, it's also the birth of hope, which is why we call it good. So how do you get this hope? Well, Peter writes, according to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. According to his great mercy, Jesus embodies the mercy of God in his incarnation, taking on human form, becoming one of us in the mercy. He showed the hungry and the sick and the outcast and the oppressed in offering himself to die in our place as a substitute on the cross, experiencing in himself, the full exile that we dread is one day going to come for us. And his resurrection, listen if you can, is the greatest mercy of all. 
The cross is what, is what pays the penalty for your sin. But the resurrection is what actually gives you new life. And so the resurrection is the greatest mercy of all. Now, new life, what are we talking about here? Wh- wh- where do you see new life? I, we, we just saw it a second ago. You see the faces of all of those dear, beautiful babies? When a new child is born, you see new life. Birth is new life. New birth, right? Peter writes, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now, I'm aware, as well as you are, that that phrase born again comes with all kinds of cultural baggage, right? Some of you are probably triggered right now just by the fact that I'm using that phrase. Let's see if we can't redeem it. For those of us who put our faith in Jesus, this causes a new birth in us, a new life where there was no life before, a new hope, a living hope where there was no hope before. Now, born again Christian, that phrase there is a redundancy. And I know I'm a little bit of a grammar Nazi, but I got to call it out, okay? There's no such thing as a born again Christian, right? You're either born again or you're not. There are not two kinds of Christians, the born again and the not born again. There's just the one, the person that is born again, who is a Christian. Now to become a Christian, which is to say somebody who throws themselves on the mercy of God and says, I want Jesus's death on the cross to count for me. I don't deserve it. I don't expect it, but I need it. And I've got nothing else. Without Jesus's mercy, I'm a goner. I'm a dead man. I'm a dead woman. And Jesus says, I accept. I will take your deadness and I will make it my deadness and I will take my aliveness and I will make it your aliveness. You are therefore new. You have new life. It's like being reborn. And from this birth, unlike your first birth, there is no death, no second death. Now your first birth has a death, right? Last time I checked, the death rate is the same as the birth rate, right? You know this. It's funny. It's also very sad right? But from the second birth, there is no death. There is no death from being born again. Now, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. What do we mean by living hope? Why living? Y'all, the story of the resurrection just gets better and better. These two women are going to the tomb and on the way they have this remarkable interaction that I'm sure is burned into their imaginations forever. There's an earthquake, an angel appears like a lightning and speaks to them. They run off to go tell the others, but on the way, who do they meet? Well, they meet the risen Christ. And what does he say to them? He says to them, karate. Now that's not what your English Bible says. Your English Bible says greetings. The Greek word there, translated greetings, is karate. It's also translated rejoice. And in most places in the New Testament, that Greek word karate is translated rejoice. And I know I mentioned grammar earlier. I'm going to mention it one more time just because I have to. So this word, this this word that Jesus uses to greet these women, it is grammatically in the second person plural present active imperative, which I'm sure tells you everything you need to know, right? No, here's, here's what you need to know. Second person plural. Hang with me. You'll get this. Second person plural. You all. Or since we're in Richmond, y'all, right? Present active, meaning present and ongoing, continuous, non-stopping. Imperative, meaning a command. So when Jesus says to them, karate, rejoice, he is saying to them, y'all, rejoice in a present and active and ongoing way and never stop. It's the same word the apostle Paul uses in Philippians chapter four, verse four, where he writes, rejoice in the Lord's oh, in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. It's a word of hope. It's a word of living hope. 
an ongoing, active, present, continuous, non-stopping hope. Friends, do you know what the resurrection of Jesus means for you? Do you know? It means that one day after you have died, you, you, will rise from the dead with a new body and you, you, will inherit a renewed earth. An earth that is, according to the words of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. The resurrection of the church, the people of God, and the renewal of the world is the hope. That's the hope. That is, in the words of Tolkien, a light in the darkness when all other lights go out. Your future resurrection and the renewal of the world is not a thing that you wish for. It's a thing that you know is coming to you. How do you know it's coming to you? Because Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the dawning of a new era. Jesus was the first human through the breach, through the opening in the wall of death. And we follow him through that opening that he creates. Resurrection is the trumpet of the Calvary reinforcements on the hill that gives you hope to keep fighting even when it looks grim. Resurrection is the end of the game that you've already glimpsed that enables you to keep watching without getting discouraged. Resurrection is the hope that changes the way you experience and process all of the events of your life. Resurrection hope is what enabled the exiles in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia to carry on in confidence and good cheer even when they were suffering. Resurrection hope is what makes it possible for you to get cancer and have it be the thing that makes you humble and kind, not bitter. Hope in your own resurrection and your own inheriting of a renewed earth becomes the light at the end of the tunnel that keeps you going. It's the hot glowing coal within you that keeps you warm. And hang with me, it's the scent of barbecue wafting down the street when you're still two blocks from your neighbor's Easter party and you're hungry because you were in church a long time, but you know you're going to get there. You're tired, you're cold, you're still hungry, but you're going to make it. Resurrection hope is what gives you the peace to know that no matter what happens or how badly you suffer, in the end, it's going to be okay. Better than okay. It's going to end good. To have a living hope is to have a resurrected imagination. We've talked about how hope is more important than we think it is, how hope meets us in our loneliness, and then finally, hope restores our imaginations. Now, when I say that word imagination, I know that some of you immediately think imagination is just kind of pretending stuff, right? No. Imagination is not pretending that fake things are real. It is a way of contemplating real things you can't see. I'll say that one more time. Imagination is not pretending that fake things are real. It is a way of contemplating real things you can't see. This is not sentimentality. This is not emotions just getting the better of us. Like, I know the choir's amazing, but that's not just us getting kind of lost in the moment and getting hyped up. All right? This is not sentimentality. It's not emotions getting the better of us. This is a way of accessing truth in a way that transcends the physical senses. Malcolm Geith, a British poet, refers to the imagination as a, quote, truth-bearing faculty, meaning a human sense that gives you access to reality. Now, you know this even if you think you don't know it, because many of the best parts of your life are things that take place in your imagination. Beauty. Love, relationship, purpose, meaning, dignity. These are all things that take place in our imaginations. Does that make them fake? No, they are real. The imagination is the only way to access their reality, though. Now, if you need a different example, you can think about it in the negative. 
Professor Michael Marison of Swarthmore College, a famous atheist, is, is known for saying that he could never be a comfortable atheist when he was listening to Bach's music. Why? Because when he listened to the beauty of the music, something happened in his imagination that hinted at the existence of something real that he just couldn't quite get his hands around. The resurrection of Jesus means that you will one day rise with him and this whole earth will be renewed. And here and now, what that means for you is hope. And what is hope? It is a resurrected imagination. Consider how beautifully and gently Jesus resurrects the imagination of Peter. You know, you know what Jesus could have said to Peter? He could have said, uh, Peter, pretty low move back there at the trial. Um, now that I'm back from the dead, you just need to like believe a lot harder, okay? Right? And Peter could have felt the crushing shame of his own failure and gone out thinking, okay, I just need to overcome that shame with effort. And so many of us are actually living the Christian life that way right now. But instead, here's what Jesus does to Peter, and here's what he does for us. Jesus takes Peter and he sets him down, and he actually doesn't tell him to believe harder, he gives him an experience. He makes him breakfast around a fire on a beach. And then he asks Peter three times if Peter loves him, three questions for three betrayals. Why? So that Peter would know through that experience, in the depths of his bones, in his imagination, the source of his, all of his perspective on life, that he was new, that he was born again, and that he had new life starting at that moment. Peter's hope was kindled like the embers of the fire on that beach. Now, let me turn it to you. How are you going to know that you're born again? How are you going to know? What will resurrect your imagination? What will sustain the living hope so that it is continuous and ongoing and present and active. Well, we just did one practice that helps us with that just a few minutes ago in the sacrament of baptism. The sacrament of baptism is this ritual of hope. Every time, not only when you receive baptism yourself, but also every time you witness a baptism, you are being reminded of being born again to a living hope. And participating in that together as a church is this constant renewal and reminder that kindles that flame just a little bit more and helps the hope to be living and ongoing. We also experience this in the fellowship of the church. This is why living as a born-again follower of Jesus is not a solo endeavor, but is meant to happen in the community of the church. Now, there are some of you who were good with me up until that particular second in the sermon, and then I just lost you. Because up until this point, maybe up to this point in life, you've been thinking, you know, okay, Dan, I'm with you. Yes, Jesus died for my sins. Yes, Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, my hope in him secures an eternal future. But that's something that I can just hold individually and I don't need the church and I especially don't need the church because most of the pain and wounding and spiritual trauma and abuse that I've experienced has actually come at the hands of the church. So the church is actually an impediment to my faith, not an aid in my faith. So better for me to follow Jesus outside the church than to have to wade through the muck and the mess of being in fellowship with these kind of people in the church. But listen, if you can, our imaginations are not just held individually, they are held communally. There's a famous story of a, a Baptist pastor named Dwight Moody who uh, went to go visit a man who was in this exact place, who wanted to be a born again follower of Jesus, but to do so outside the church. 
and was absolutely convinced that he did not need to participate in any kind of local church. And so Pastor Moody went and visited him in his house and they sat together in the living room and it was a cold winter day and so the man started a fire and as they talked, Pastor Moody just kind of listened and as the man kind of gave his reasons for not wanting to be a part of the church and they were all, they were all good reasons. And then uh, the man kind of asked him point blank, so, so why exactly do I have to be a part of the church? And Pastor Moody didn't say any words. He just sat there in silence and then he grabbed a pair of metal tongs reached over and picked a glowing coal out of the fire and put it on the metal floor. And they just watched it together as it slowly went out. And after a few moments, the man just kind of sighed and said, okay, I'll see you at church. (laughs) Our imaginations are held communally, not just individually. We need each other in order for the hope to be living and continuous and ongoing. And I'm not sure if there's a better example than that than the singing that we do together. You know, the church, this is one of those things that makes the church of Jesus so different from all the other religions and traditions and spiritualities of the world. What other tradition out there has the singing, has the art of the followers of Jesus? Now, some of you will know that, that when it comes time to sing together in church, some of you are singing from a place of hope. And, and, and maybe that was you this morning. The hope is just welling up and overflowing within you and it comes out and it bursts forth in song and it's beautiful and it's joyful and it's wonderful and it's great. Amen. But others of you, and, and I would confess many Sundays, me, are, are actually singing for hope. That actually the hope kind of feels a bit cold and dead and empty inside. And the singing itself becomes almost this like reaching for hope in the song. And it's at that particular moment that you need the voices of the men and women and children around you because their voices in song are part of what buoy you up and carry you. You know, there's an Irish poet who has uh, written that, you know, the, the victors and the strong in history are the ones who write the history books, but the losers and the weak are the ones who write the songs. And you know, for most of history, the church has been pretty weak. For most of history, the church looks a lot like the losers. And so it's the songs that carry us. Singing together carries that living hope within us. Now, lastly, this table. The Eucharist, Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper. Every time you eat this meal, you are reminded of how the death and resurrection of Jesus is a mercy to you and has secured your eternal hope. And that's why we come back to this table over and over again, as many times as we can. It's not a meal you eat once and then you're good to go. No, you need it all the time because it helps sustain the living hope within you. Friends, hope is more important than you think it is. Hope meets you in your loneliness Hope resurrects and restores your imaginations. And as we practice these things together as a church family, year over year, we will remember our new birth. Strangers will hear the good news of the resurrection and they will be born again and they will join our family. And the living hope will continue until the day that hope is consummated. May it be so. Alleluia and amen. Heavenly Father, Thank you that according to your great mercy, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Thank you for listening. To connect with our team or to learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. 
We look forward to knowing you. Go in peace.